The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to this edition of Tech Talk right here on High FM. And we indeed talk about the future. There's a lot of future talk going on in this show. And 2020, we're in the future. I mean, so many science fiction books. Uh, Back to the Future was set in 2020. 2020, this decade is going to be probably one of the most significant decades in human society going forward for lots of good reasons, not least is Brexit and all sorts of geopolitical and political issues going on around the world. But technology is fundamentally linked to all of that stuff. I mean, as simple as this, we've had three little cable breaks, nothing serious, just some cables broke in the undersea ocean between Africa and Europe, and all of a sudden, South Africa's internet for some, not all, interestingly, but for most, in fact, um, slowed to a crawl. We'll talk about that, the implications of that, when uh, that's going to get sorted out. But it just shows you how absolutely critical connectivity and high-speed, high-capacity connectivity is to the country, to the world, and the whole world's going to be affected by that in this coming decade. So lots of future talk, lots of talk about 5G, World Mobile Congress coming up in less than a month's time, where all the networks, all the boys show off their, all their 5G toys and all the latest gizmos and gadgets and, and networks that, you know, push 5G forward, and I believe we're going to see inklings of 6G, because 5G has pretty much happened. It's been ratified, it's a standard, it's out there, it's available in many countries around the world already. Just sign up and enjoy some 5G. So it's going to be a a, a really, really, really big couple of months. But here's an interesting and cautionary tale. It's all about WhatsApp. And in the news of late, now it's, it's, it's interesting it only hit the news now. We're talking about something that happened in 2018. But Jeff Bezos, one of the richest men in the world, and if for those of you who don't know, the owner, founder, and creator of Amazon and Amazon.com was hacked by, they say, a WhatsApp from the Saudi crown prince. Now, obviously, Mr. Bezos uh, mixes in those circles. He has the phone number of crown princes, presidents, and potentates around the world. Of that, I have no doubt. But he received a WhatsApp with a video file um, from purporting to come from the account of the Saudi, Saudi Arabia's crown prince, and it hacked his phone and downloaded an enormous amount. In fact, everything that was on the phone was copied and sent out. And this, the, the impact of that only came out because there was a whole lot of uh, reports in the press or leaks to the press about his personal life and what he's been doing. And he got divorced, so it's nice, juicy stuff. But it is really, really, really critical to understand that on a platform as big as WhatsApp, something where there are billions upon billions of users, some really smart tech people can figure out a way to get into your device to to do all sorts of interesting things. And one of the failures of of WhatsApp, now that was not the case of what happened right now, but one of the failures of WhatsApp is that you, if someone has your number, they can send your WhatsApp. It comes up as an unknown number and generally... There's no control over that. If they have your number, they send you a WhatsApp, you will get, and you use WhatsApp, you will get uh, a message from an unknown number. The trick really is not to ever, ever 
accept or listen to a call from an unknown number. And if there's any file attached, a video file, uh, a picture file, a link to an email, anything, just don't click on that and don't get involved. And, of course, WhatsApp's been in the news. So one of the key things that you need to do now is go into settings, go to two-factor authentication. It is a pain. Every now and then it's going to ask you for your PIN code to log back into WhatsApp. But it really will add a, a massive layer of of security to your WhatsApp. The other thing you need to do is always update because that breach that got Jeff Bezos into trouble um, has been fixed. So always update your apps. Keep them fully up to date and create a, a, a PIN. Use two-factor authentication on your WhatsApp. And we'll be back straight after this with um, a little bit more news and interesting tech stuff. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Anyway, it's it's official, unfortunately, and I mean, this is hardly a tech story. It's more of a story around not being able to use your tech. Load shedding creates havoc with technology. Networks go down. Cell phone towers go down. Batteries run out. Um, your TV don't work, which is a huge problem. Streaming becomes a challenge. And all the UPSs and generators in the world can mitigate but not solve this particular problem. The challenge, unfortunately, is systems, platforms, and nonsense going on at ESCOM. And unfortunately, uh, a really interesting story is that CSIR, the CSIR has actually tried to to work out what this cost us. And they came up with a figure of 59 billion rand in lost productivity, um, direct costs, all sorts of nonsense. They, it's so interesting just to get these stats and these numbers. They had 530 hours of planned outages between the, the previous year, which is far lower than um, 2050, uh, 2015 when load shedding was at its peak. But um, it's still a significant amount of hours where companies literally shut down. They don't work. Um, things just don't work the way they could. So... <laughs> it's totally official. Load shedding is super costly. I'm sure anyone who runs their own business, it's a minor inconvenience to use candlelight for dinner and eat cold food. But imagine when you've got an office of 20 or 30 or 40 people all sitting around doing absolutely nothing because their computers are dead and uh, nothing's working. So and I just believe that from a technology point of view, and I'm going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks to try to bring couple of solutions and a couple of ideas to everybody. But a, a solar system with bat- backup batteries and an inverter that runs your computers is an absolute must for any business, small business, big business, any business today. What's also interesting, and I'm, this is not the financial show, is a tax break for doing that. You can ask your tax advisor, ask your accountant, but you as a business invest in a solar setup to power your computers during the day. And mostly you don't need lights, you don't need air conditioners, you certainly don't need the kettle. But if you can keep your computer systems going uh, with the use of a couple of uh, LED lights, you can certainly um, keep all your staff up and running and working and productive during load shedding afternoons or mornings whenever they occur. So 
It's costly, but I think we just have to accept that it's not going away for the next foreseeable future, though we've been pretty lucky the last couple of weeks, but uh, it's not going away. And I think we need to look at systems and platforms. I'm going to be speaking to a couple of the providers, and I'll try to come up with some ideas and some options and some ways of doing a little bit of homework for you guys to see which is the best best way to do it. Obviously, there's generators, but they're noisy. There's petrol. The wiring in becomes a problem. A lot of buildings, for some unknown reason, landlords are not keen to invest. Perhaps it's the admin, the cost, the the rest. And for most companies, it's a very costly exercise to put in big, huge standby generators that run the whole office in the advent of load shedding. So a lot of options, though, between UPSs, and all sorts of other battery backup solutions and inverters. Computers today mostly don't use a ton of power. Mostly, um, even a large network with all the various routers and, and, and the rest, again, can be, can be kept operating on very, very simple and relatively ex- inexpensive platforms with, you know, um, a battery backup and all the rest. So we'll talk a lot about that. But the simple fact is load shedding is not going away. All the indications are that it may even get a little worse than it was last year, simply because there seems to be an intention by ESCOM to really do the work properly. So if they fix a, a generator or a power station, they shut it down for three, four months, get it get it back up and running in, a, in good shape properly, rather than before where they were just fixing and not not really maintaining and not really fixing. So here we go. Uh, a fun year from a gadget point of view. Fun year in South Africa with the power going on and off uh, a little unreliably. And the simple fact is last year it cost us $59 billion in lost productivity. And I think that just for the sanity of and the safety and the continuity of your business, you have to make a plan, invest a little bit of money, and uh, try to figure out a plan B for the uh, the power shedding. Now, Interesting this, uh, anyone who's got teenagers or anyone below the age of 30 has probably heard of TikTok. Now, TikTok has so quickly, it's ridiculous. A year ago, no one knew what TikTok was. But TikTok has become a mainstream um, social media platform. And essentially, all TikTok is is a short video with music attached and youngsters doing pretty much ridiculous stuff. It has not quite turned into an alternative to Instagram and all the others, but it is definitely becoming a huge, huge um, player in the social media space. And in fact, later on, uh, well, I may as well do it right now, TikTok if you're interested, there's a ton, I mean, a real ton of useless, of useless stuff. But other than that, there are some absolute gems of really smartly put together video clips uh, that are, are really worth entertaining. And I mean, it's a very short film. It's very, it's only a few seconds, up to I think 30 seconds of, um, of video that you can have. And it loops. So you can create the most ridiculous things. And as I said, generally TikTok is absolutely full of young people doing absolutely nutty things and some incredibly creative stuff. So if you're keen to see what's going on, if you're just keen to play around, there's also a lot, if you do a little bit of digging and searching, a lot of really informative channels, how-tos and how do you do this and, and how this works and all the rest. So a lot of nature stuff. So it's actually very, very entertaining. But what brought this up is MTN have realized that TikTok has now become a serious business. So what they've done is they've launched a TikTok airtime bundle starting at just five rand. And um, 
I know it's aimed at the boomers and everyone's going on about that, but the simple fact is that it's mainstream. People are using a ton of data to to use it, and it's quite smart of um, of MTN to realize that it's now pretty much mainstream like WhatsApp and making little bundles available. Now, the pricing is five rand for 100 megs of, of daily TikTok. Not sure that that should get you a couple of hours of, of playing and viewing. Twenty bucks for five hundred meg weekly, and fifty bucks for a gig monthly. Now you'd have to be quite a heavy user to use that up, but still, this is in addition to normal airtime. So if you're a TikTok addict, or rather, if you want to do the following, restrict your kids to a, a an amount of time of TikTok they can use. It's actually quite a great idea. Buy them a daily bundle of five rand. That's it. That's their TikTok time. When it's gone, it's gone. It'll probably give them an hour or two. Uh, depending on the types of videos that they watch, but generally it's um, it's a great way to do that, and it's separate from any other data. It's apart from all the rest. So have a look if you're an MTN subscriber. I expect the other networks will follow suit very quickly. But um, have a look at TikTok. Download the app and understand what's going on out there in the boomer world. And the youngsters are all going crazy. And you'll probably find that your kids are already on TikTok, which is cool. And if you are a kid and listening to my show, which is also great, and if you're not on TikTok, well, it's time. And if you're on MTN, you can get a little bundle, which makes it significantly cheaper than using your normal data, which is not a bad thing. And we'll be back right now, uh, straight after this little uh, break for our sponsors, with Tech Talk Cafe. I don't have a still early in the year, don't have an interview as yet, but I'm going to be talking about some really, really interesting stuff. Cables, 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 all the implications of what's happening there. And a quick update on what's happening in the world of Huawei. That is getting super complicated for them and for us. So stay tuned and we'll be back soon. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And uh, quite honestly, you had to be living under a rock not to have heard that there have been problems with the Internet the last couple of days. In fact, since around about Thursday last week, all of a sudden, anyone who is on OpenServe, which is the telecom Internet, and a couple of other ISPs that use telecom as their backbone, started having enormous trouble accessing uh, international websites and that's crazy because the local stuff would pop up instantly but all the international websites inclu- including certain Google searches and lots of other stuff YouTube videos some of which are, are locally hosted but some aren't and any other international website just slow down to a crawl and the simple simple uh, problem was that two cables broke simultaneously which is pretty unheard of it's pretty unusual that we have such a thing. But essentially there are three, now four actually, main data cables that encircle the continent of Africa. And unlike Asia, the sort of northern hemisphere band where there are thousands of cables from North America to South America, all across the various um, things, there are only really three main cables that really bring most of the sort of not most of, but all the data into this country at high speed and relatively low latency. Latency is the time it takes for the signal to go from your computer to the server overseas and back. And at the speed of light, that's round about 180 milliseconds, which is quite a long time. It's approaching quarter of a second, which is quite a long time in, in, in computer terms. But anyway, the... The SAT3 cable broke in two places, one near England and one um, near 
the wax cable, sorry, broke in two places, one near England and one near Gabon. And the Sat 3 cable, which runs to Fort Salisa in Portugal, broke in one place as well. And then as they got the ship ready, and they've got one ship that's going to fix both cables, suddenly there were massive weather and massive storms off Cape Town. So the, the ship was trapped in Cape Town and was unable to leave till yesterday. So the good news is the ship has now left port with all the necessary gear to fix all the cable breaks. going to take them three, four, maybe five days, depending on the weather, to get to the cable breaks. And how it works is as follows. They, these these cables are essentially 20, maybe 25 centimeter thick. They're highly armored, and they run along the seabed up to three kilometers down. So they've got to send something down, scoop up the cable, lift it up. If it's a break, then they've got to repair the break. If it's a repeater that's failed, they've got to replace the repeater and get the cables up and running. So for the next week minimum, we are going to probably have these type of troubles. The good news for most of us is that a new cable running from Angola to South America or to Brazil has come on stream. It was starting to become fully commercial. It only came online late last year. It was starting to be fully commercial and will bring a significant bump in capacity between South Africa or Southern Africa because that cable doesn't terminate in South Africa. But the good news is it connects to some of the other cables and comes to Cape Town um, in the normal course. So that cable is starting to be used and a lot of, a lot of networks, including uh, telecom are buying capacity on that cable, especially right now they're buying a lot of capacity on that cable at a high cost, unfortunately, but such is life. And then there's another cable which runs up the east coast of Africa, the easy cable that runs all the way up, runs through the Suez Canal into the Mediterranean, and that brings an enormous amount of capacity to South Africa. Unfortunately, one cable cannot replace three or two others. So that cable is congested, and even those um, service providers, the ISPs, that have been using that cable because it was a slightly cheaper option than the SAT-3 cable for some, but that cable is being used by most of the ISPs to add capacity to their network and to bring everything back to normal. So right now you would probably find that the troubles you were having over the weekend and the troubles you had starting Thursday will probably have faded a little. There's probably still, in fact, I can attest to that, and a couple of the ISPs I tested, um, there were a couple of degraded moments in my uh, streaming. Couldn't get 4K. It was driving me mad. Uh, things buffered a little bit more. There's definitely still a little bit of congestion and constraint on the cable. So, unfortunately, please be patient and watch the little ring of buffering run around and, and, and interrupt your viewing now and then. But it's a small, small price to pay, unfortunately, until the cables are repaired. And there's no way around this because everything runs through those cables, including which most people don't understand. And I actually had this conversation with a lot of people is the mobile networks use those cables also to transmit all voice, all WhatsApp, all data to uh, servers and, and platforms overseas. So, for example, if you've noticed, and I've noticed, and a lot of people have said to me, what's going on? WhatsApp has become particularly bad of late. The quality is bad. The voice quality is terrible. It it keeps, you know, dropping out and saying reconnecting, reconnecting. 
Well, it's also due to the broken cables. The simple fact is that the mobile networks, MTN, Vodacom, send the WhatsApp data to the WhatsApp servers, which don't reside in South Africa, and um, you land up with a situation where you get contention, it drops down the bandwidth, it makes the voice calls a lot less clear, no more HD voice and no more high-quality transmission because of the contention, and guess what? Your WhatsApp calls become highly unreliable. And that's even if you're making a WhatsApp call. And this is what some guy said to me. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. When you make a WhatsApp call from yourself in, let's say, Rosebank to a friend who's standing in Santon, as the crow flies, a couple of Ks. But as the digital uh, crow flies, it probably goes to the MTN data center, which is sitting in four ways. Oh, not four ways. In... um Oh, the other side of town, doesn't matter where it sits. But from there, it goes all the way to a server probably somewhere in Europe or in Ireland or some massive data center where uh, WhatsApp are, are basing their WhatsApp service, and then all the way back to you in Santon. So it takes a couple of hundred thousand kilometer trip to get back to you, and that data flows through one of the undersea cables. So it doesn't matter where you are. Same thing for Skype. Skype is a little bit, the technology of Skype is a little bit different, and so you'll probably find that the Skype calls are slightly better, which is quite an interesting option. So try Skype calling instead of WhatsApping. You might find it it's a lot better than making a voice call. But for the next couple of days, we're going to be seeing a little bit more of this. Mostly, as I said, from from the people I've spoken to, the networks I've spoken to, they've made sufficient provision, but they are pretty much maxed out, and they're paying a lot of money for additional lines. So it's not a great situation to be in, but overall, it is really an indication, as I said earlier, that it that we are so dependent on the, the being connected and being connected to the world. There is a little tiny, ma- well, in fact, it's not even tiny. It's a massive gigabyte uh, silver lining to all this. Both Google and WhatsApp, are, or, or not WhatsApp, um, Facebook, who own WhatsApp, are bringing brand new cables down the west coast of Africa as we speak. The Google cable should go online in the next three to six months, depending on, on conditions and what else. And that cable and the the cable managed and run by um, Facebook will almost quadruple the amount of bandwidth available to Africa because this cable is touching down all the way down the West Coast and all the way into South Africa. And they've done that for lots of good reasons. Number one, Google are opening their own data center here. And you need massive, massive bandwidth to link the various data centers around the world. Facebook are doing the same thing. They need to bring the Internet into Africa. Right now, it's just too problematic to have the main server sitting. You know, you, you, you're doing something in Johannesburg and the main server sitting in Ireland or in America or somewhere in the east. That stuff has to happen in South Africa. Already, the big data centers here are hosting things like Netflix is local. Even if um, it doesn't matter where you access it from, but Netflix will always check to see where the local server is. So they've got a point of presence in Midrand. They've got one at Terraco here in um, Jet Park near the airport for one good reason, despite the fact that uh, the airport uh, did lose power recently. Um, it's an area that never has any load shedding. So <laughs> they've always got power because it's a national key point. And no matter what happens, ESCOM generally, unless your power station blows up as what happened, uh, never, ever creates load shedding in Jet Park, which is allied or attached to the airport. So good place for a data center. Smart move in my, in my estimation. But the simple fact is those, um, those 
all those files are there. Google are also a lot of YouTube is, is in South Africa. A lot of data is held in South Africa, but those data centers are growing exponentially. Microsoft have got their data centers. Amazon have now started rolling out data centers. So the amount of data centers that are going to be connected to the various data centers globally are absolutely huge and more and more and more of them are coming and the need and the, 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 benefit of having massive capacity is critical to what's going on further. And the other benefit of this is that the redundancy uh, with five cables, five or six major cables supplying Africa and Southern Africa makes an absolutely humongous difference to our ability to withstand breaks. And unfortunately, breaks and failures happen. These are vulnerable little tiny cables that run down the coast they're very easy to break, they're very easy to damage, and they're really very easy to to um, to have problems with. They're each couple of kilometers, there's a little repeater box, like a little bump on the cable, and that is really quite a difficult difficult one to, to get around. It's quite hard to figure out how to, to con- continuously fix and repair them. And in fact, really interesting, is that the SAT3 cable started off at 350 megabits per second, uh, it's now moved up into the gigabit per second space, and it's the same cable. So all that changed with the repeaters and the equipment on either side, which was quite an interesting thing. So the cables need constant care, unfortunately. They actually also have a lifespan, which I think the SAT3 is getting quite close to, probably will be replaced in the next couple of years. So bear with the boys. There's not much we can do about it right now. Bandwidth is somewhat scarce and somewhat limited, so don't curse when it buffers. And it's unfortunately going to take another week or so before everything gets back to normal. But they're on it. The ship is gone. The ship has sailed, as they say, and uh, it's out there trying to get to the cables and repair them and get things on the go. I'll keep you updated. Listen in on Tuesday morning, at, uh, and I'll give you a quick update during the, the drive show, and I'll give you a quick update um, on on what's happening, I think we'll have probably good news. I'll probably be fixing the cables by then, and then we'll be get we'll be going ahead as per usual. Now, as I mentioned, Huawei are back in the news. Um, a deal has been done with, between uh, China and America, or a preliminary trade deal has been done, and it it was positive for global trade. The 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 dollar strengthened a little. Emerging markets currencies like South Africa stabilized somewhat. Local matters have caused havoc for a change, but that's as it as it always is. But Huawei has been left out a little in the cold. And the reason I bring this up is that for a while, up until May last year when this bombshell hit Huawei, where America essentially put Huawei on what they call the entity list and stopped them from dealing with uh, American companies for the most part, um, were doing enormously well. They were close to becoming number one mobile phone pr- provider in the world. They were number one um, mobile infrastructure provider in the world. They had poured enormous money into 5G. And in fact, they were one of the most cost-effective and most ubiquitous and most advanced 5G solutions globally. And that might have been part of the politics of all this. But the, but really, Huawei were, were moving ahead at a rate of knots and the Americans decided for, I believe, a, a whole bunch of mixed reasons. I'm not making any judgment here, but Huawei and any company in China is very 
closely controlled by government. They have to share any information they have with government. And America see the Chinese government as, and the Chinese military, as a serious um, threat to national sovereignty. And in many ways, the way China has grown over the last 50 years has been by stealing and by appropriating, maybe stealing is a tough word, but comes back to stealing, by taking uh, IP, uh, intellectual property, taking information from people around the globe, reverse engineering it, and at scale mass producing it in China, which created enormous problems. That may not be fully the, ch- the, 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 the problem that Huawei has, but they've been caught in this. And the key problem for Huawei is the following. They're building, building amazing devices. They have become somewhat independent of American chipsets, so technically the screens, the chips, the batteries, all the necessary components to build a smartphone is n- are now made under Huawei's control or sourced and supplied from people that are not blocked via the Americans, so they can make the devices. But all their phones were based on, on Google's Android operating system. And with the banning and the entity list, no new device that was brought out post the banning event, which was May of last year, can have Google services or a full-blown Google suite of services on their phone. So the P30 Pro was the last, and the whole P30 range was the last phone from Huawei that could actually have um Google services. And what Google services are is no maps, no navigation, no ways, no WhatsApp, no nothing that you absolutely get used to. And in fact, some research I did is that when you look at the top 20 most downloaded and used apps in the Western world, none of those or very few of those are available on new Huawei phones. So the Mate 30, the upcoming Mate 40, a whole host of their cheaper phones cannot be sold with um with Google services. So no maps, no anything. You can get your emails, but absolutely no social media. You can get TikTok, funny enough. But other than that, nothing else is available on the phone. And for the most part, for 99.9% of people, as good as the hardware is, as amazing as the camera is, it just makes no sense to buy a Huawei device. They have very smartly refixed and rebranded and, and reformatted and refiddled with some of their older models and released them over the last little while. But there's absolutely no getting around the fact that 2020, they're going to have to bring out a whole host of new phones to compete with the Samsungs and everyone else of this world, and they won't be able to. They are just not able to put Google on it, and it's not great for anyone in the West. They have signed a deal with TomTom to get Maps back on and get a really good mapping solution going. But Maps is critical, and it's vital to have. They've also instituted their own app store with 40,000 apps when there are a billion apps uh, on the Google Play Store. It will take time. They may get there eventually. But for the foreseeable future, a Huawei phone in the West is not a really good choice. It makes no sense. You can get really top phones from Samsung, from a host of other Chinese manufacturers, from Apple, from LG, you name it, that have none of these restrictions and work exactly as you would expect them to. And there's no promise that the the updates will stop for older Huawei phones. So my sense is that if you're considering a brand new phone for 2020, Huawei, until they sort their stories out with Google, 
are actually not an option at all. I would suggest you do not buy a Huawei device going forward, as tough as that may be, because the cameras are spectacular, the pricing is really good, the um, quality of the phones is certainly top-notch, and from that point of view, it is almost a pity that you <laughs> you don't have that option anymore. But until they sort this out, to have a Google f- a phone running Android without all the Google Play or Google apps makes zero sense in this world. For example, no streaming app will work. No banking app may work because of what's going on. So it, it became, it becomes unusable. There is talk that they will sort this out in the next short while. There's lots of talk from Huawei. They're going to bring out their own operating system and their own uh, services to compete with Google. But practically, for the next two to three years, that is going to be still completely and utterly unusable for the average user. So good luck to them. I hope they come right. And the best solution would be some form of, you know, making sure that they get Google back on their devices so that we can enjoy their fabulous technology. And on that note, um, again, I'll keep you updated with all the, 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 the latest around what's happening with Huawei, and there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, we'll be back straight after this with uh, a little bit more of looks into the future. Again, beginning of the year, very few gadgets for review, so those are all streaming in now. But we'll talk straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And uh, just to, <laughs> it actually links from the whole Huawei story and uh, and what I'm talking about now, and that is 5G, when it's coming, how it's going to affect you. And guess what? We actually do have 5G in South Africa, and uh, it has dropped over the holidays that Vodacom will be launching a full 5G network in South Africa in the next very short while. But back to the whole Huawei thing. A lot of equipment in this country is based on Huawei. Um, in Europe, their 5G equipment is starting to be rolled out, and in England as well, with America putting huge pressure to block them or to stop them from being in the core networks because of espionage claims. So, again, uh, not only the handsets are under massive threat, both the enterprise business around um, their 5G networks is also under enormous threat. And more from, more about that we'll find out at World Mobile Congress, which is the end of February. But essentially, what is 5G? A lot of people just think it's the next version of 4G. So in other words, if 4G was good, 5G is better. In, in a nutshell, that really is true. 5G is a new cellular standard. But it, for the first time, changes the whole nature and style and scale of how mobile networks work. For the first time, mobile networks or 5G mobile networks will be able to compete in speed, in latency, and overall performance with fiber or fixed networks, which has never, ever been the case before with any mobile network. Obviously, mobile networks are still based on radio waves. You've still got problems and issues um, going on globally around weather and interruptions. So maybe not quite as robust as having a fixed fiber connection between point A and point B. But technically, the way the system works, the way 5G is being implemented, it will bring gigabit speeds, speeds that are an order of magnitude faster than current speeds available on 4G networks. And it'll bring a bump in capacity that is exceptionally um, huge 
compared to 4G networks. So if you've got a 4G mobile tower and it's set up correctly, maybe you can service a 1,000 users simultaneously using data at a reasonably good speed. Well, 5G will bump that from from 1,000 to 100,000 people can use that network at high speed as well. And that is a huge, huge benefit because right now the average home probably has 10 to 12 connected devices in the home. By um, the next two, three years, expect to see that triple, if not quadruple, as your fridges, washing machines, cameras, you name it, every form of little appliance lands up somehow connecting to some network somewhere via Wi-Fi. Even Wi-Fi is evolving in the 5G world, something I'll talk about later, because we are going to see, in fact, Follow follow Tech Talk because Wi-Fi 6 is coming. The current Wi-Fi you've got, which is painful and spotty and a problem, is going away. And there's going to be a lot and a lot of things to talk about there. But 5G is coming to South Africa. Right now, Rain has a limited 5G network in Cape Town, Johannesburg and Durban. And they are offering an interesting package. It's not cheap. A thousand rand a month. Uncapped. Unlimited. With speeds up to 700 megabits per second. They don't guarantee that, the nature of wireless, but essentially that is a pretty good deal. That is fiber speeds, in fact, faster than most fiber speeds that people are using, and uncapped, which is unheard of for wireless networks, and low latency, so you can do a lot of things on it. I haven't tried it yet. Interestingly enough, my house where I live and my office is outside of uh, their coverage by about 20 meters. I'm sure it would work, but they're not prepared to sell me one. So <laughs> we'll get there. But um, so 5G is available and Vodacom let slip that using um, Liquid Telecom's infrastructure and Liquid Telecom's um, frequency allocation. They are going to roll out a nationwide 5G network this year and starting early 2020. So expect around World Mobile, which is February, a big announcement from Vodafone, Vodacom, that they will have the first commercial 5G network in South Africa. The good news for that is that a lot of phones, the first one probably coming will be the launch of the new Samsung Galaxy S20. They're skipping 10 and they're going 20 for 20, which sort of works really well. So you'll have the S20 in 2020. It's too many 20s for my liking, but here we go. Will be a f- standard 5G phone. And they are talking that 5G phones are going to come to mid-range phones. In fact, a couple of them were showed uh, fairly recently at uh, CES in Las Vegas. So Qualcomm have launched a whole range of, of inexpensive 5G chipsets. So 5G will be mainstream. You will see devices from all the manufacturers, all the Samsungs. Unfortunately, you might even see some from Huawei, not available in this country, and you shouldn't buy it if it is, but that's another story, as you heard earlier. Um, Apple will launch in September with a whole new range of, of, of phones. And again, the rumor is they'll all be 5G compatible. So 5G is now mainstream. It's There's 15 devices available right now, probably anything up to 20 or more by the end of the year, at prices that are not going to break the bank. And truth be told, you won't see any difference. The only real difference will be a 5G phone will need a new SIM, 
and hopefully eSIMs become more ubiquitous, so it'll be much easier to provision. But 5G as a platform, as a system, is coming. And the main real benefit of 5G is simply that it's going to take networking simply to the next level. The number of devices that can connect through mobile will be exponentially greater. The speeds that you can do that connection will be infinitely faster. And the speed and the latency, the time it takes to operate through that system is an order of magnitude lower. Right now on 4G networks, anything from 30 to 40 milliseconds to a local um, server. So when you add that to international of 180 milliseconds, you're talking quarter of a second before anything happens. Whereas 5G can drop that down into the low ones, twos, in some cases slightly below that. So really much, much faster, much easier. And um, we're going to see use cases in businesses where networks, instead of running cables, you'll be using time sliced or, or, or network sliced 5G networks to do exactly what you did before with um a combination of new Wi-Fi 6 and 5G networks in the corporate space to give you networking that was only possible running cables, and the flexibility of that is considerable. So the 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 robots that are used or the various machinery that are used in a company can be deployed very quickly. Don't worry about connecting it up. Simply connect it to the local 5G network, and off you go. So 5G will be a huge, huge change for the average um, company, for the average user, for you and I just doing a little bit of YouTubing and some uh, Facebooking and whatever else that we do probably won't make a huge difference. Though I know as a, as a, as a tech geek, I want a 5G phone and I want it to connect to a 5G network. There's nothing worse than having technology that actually doesn't work. So when the new Samsung Galaxy S20 5G comes out, I want it, I want it to switch on and connect to a 5G network. Spain already has it, England has it, America has it. So many countries around the world have live 5G networks right now. So expect it and truth and and just as a precaution if you are looking at a high-end phone, it just makes absolute sense now for the next 2 years you're going to probably use that phone for a while. So that if you buy an S20 and they don't make a 5G version, which is probably unlikely, but the new Samsung Galaxy S20 will probably come standard with 5G, it just makes sense to buy it and, you, and, and not buy a 4G high-end phone from now on. And on that note, we have to have a quick break for our, uh, and that was a little pun on the new Galaxy Note, which is also coming out soon. soon. Um, <clears throat> we have to have a quick break for our sponsors, and I'll be back with just a quick roundup and update of the apps of the week, and we'll chat straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. And it needs a radio. And I thought, where do you go and buy just a radio? Everything's streamed. Everything's connected via a phone. This is quite a, a bizarre thing. So we're looking officially for a radio for our lounge here at High FM. And it makes sense, considering we're actually a radio station. Well, the app that I've been playing with for the last little while, uh, certainly as I travel and spend some and got a bit of time, everyone's heard of a Rubik Cube. Um, and they were a crazy trend a while back. You could spend hours trying to solve it. Well, now, guess what? There's an app. 
It's available on iOS and Android. It's called Magic Cube Puzzle 3D. And it is really, really, really good. It's got realistic uh, graphics, 3D, the thing swings and turns. It's got sound effects and animations. It takes a little bit of getting used to because if you like the tactile feel of a real Rubik Cube, that's one thing. But this does a great, great job of keeping you and everyone super um, engaged, again, on your phone. Some people argue with me about that, but simple. If you've got some time to burn, you want a little rush of nostalgia for those of you who had the physical Rubik's Cube, you want to just keep the kids super entertained for hours and hours and hours, download Magic Cube Puzzle 3D. I've just had an absolute ball with it, spent a ton of time and, uh, you know, had a really good time trying to figure out how to do this. I must say, I have not yet quite got the Rubik's Cube thing. Some people do it quick. Um, maybe my brain's not wired that way, but I can't do it. So download it, give it a shot, and tell me what's going on. The other app that I mentioned earlier is TikTok. Get with your young kids, get with the youngsters, see what's going on in their world. There's some super crazy stuff. There's some super stupid stuff. But there's actually, if you do a little bit of trawling and spend some time following the right people, some absolutely amazing videos, some incredibly creative uh, singing, dancing, and activities. And on that note, I'm afraid I've been told to wrap it up. Our time has ended till next week. Same place, same time, right here on High FM. I've got some really interesting guests lined up. There's some big, big gadgets and gizmos coming out in the next couple of weeks. And I'm sure you'll want to hear all about them and know which ones to buy and which ones not to buy. And I'll do my best for you right here on High FM Tech Talk.